Oh, it's, it's a wonderful build of worship together and, and these songs and the deepness of, of the richness of it. I'm, I'm so glad that he, the invitation is there. And so last week we kind of started focusing on a series of messages uh, and we entitled it Called Out. Okay, so uh, now, now that, that comes from the, the word you remember in the New Testament, the word for church. Uh, since it was originally written in Koine Greek, the word that's translated in our English language as church is the word ekklesia. It's a compound word, and it literally means called out. The called out. He's called us out of the darkness into his kingdom of light. He's called us, and so many times they use that you know, for someone called out into you know, a gathering or an assembly. And so we've been called out of the world, but then all of those who answered his, and it's an invitation, right? It's an invitation that he's saying, come, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care your social status. I don't care what you've done. The invitation is there. And when we answer that call... We become part of his called out. And everyone that did that in the New Testament connected themselves to a local gathering. See, the called out, the gathering group, which is a local church. Never in the Bible does the word church refer to a building. It's always people. All right. So a lot of times we'll call this the church, but it's really the church building. It's just a tool, right? It's just a tool. And, and this building's here uh, to just, uh, for us to have a place to gather and to be equipped so we can go out there and let the light of the gospel come through us, right? And to minister and to serve to our community in any way that we possibly can. Because the church is the people, right? And so we started thinking about that last week and looked at some passages. I want you to find Ephesians chapter 4 today, by the way. But just by way of review, we looked at a couple of things last week. Remember the great commandment that Jesus gave about loving the... Someone asked Jesus, what's the great uh, commandment, the greatest of all commandments? And Jesus pointed out that it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, everything that's within you, right? Right? And then he said, the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I mean, how many of us are honestly there yet? And then Jesus gives this crazy story later on about who is his neighbor. Basically anybody that needs anything. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? That was a story he told to illustrate that. Um, and then, then, so he said, all of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, really are summed up in those, those two commands. All right, and then we looked at the Great Commission. That's the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, where he said to go to all the world and, and to make disciples everywhere, all people from every nation, from every, and the word there is ethnos, from every ethnic group, and that we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that he's commanded, and he promises to be with us to the end of the age, all right? So out of those things and out of the things we saw last week in Acts chapter 2 that the, that the early church, the disciples, the apostles were doing as they met together and they continued remembering the apostles' teaching and in fellowship and in prayer and worship. So we, we boiled down, there were five main things going on there and those five things come out of those two statements of Jesus and just by way of review, this is part of our purpose. This is why we're here. 
And these, these five things, worship, ministry, discipleship, fellowship, and evangelism. Love the Lord your God, right? There's worship. We saw the early church doing that. Ministry, love your neighbor. They were meeting each other's needs. Serving, the word ministry means serve. Discipleship, as we're to teach, as we grow, as we learn. This whole thing with God is about a relationship. And you can't have a very good relationship with someone unless you know them, right? He wants us to know him. That's where there's power in that. Fellowship, we're baptized in the one body. They were sharing together. We're, we have in common. The word for communion and the word for fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. It means to have in common, to share together. And when we have communion, we're sharing together. We're being reminded of what Christ suffered for us. You know, there's been a lot of suffering going on in our community lately. A lot of suffering may be going on in your life. And it seems unfair. It, we can't make sense of it. Um, and um, there's things that I will, will say, Lord, it does seem unfair. Uh, but we do know this. We live in a sin-cursed world. And even though you're saved, our flesh is cursed. There's that part of me that I struggle with, right? Paul talks about that in Galatians 5, about the battle between the flesh, that, un, that, that, that part of me that's going to be left behind. Remember he said flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so it's not going to be redeemed, it's crucified. But it's a daily deal. Um, and then we live in a sin-cursed flesh, sin-cursed world, so we have to deal with this. There's imperfection here. And in order for God to have a love relationship with us and give us free will and love be a choice, he had to create the possibility for sin, and sin did come and wrecked all of it. And it's not just Adam and Eve's fault. Believe me, I've done my share of it too. I need him as much as anybody. I mean, I may have sinned differently than some people, but I'm a sinner just the same. Needing his grace. But you know what? When I think about the fact that we're still in this world, there are better people than me that are suffering a lot worse than I've ever suffered. There's a lot of people that are suffering right now um, just to protect some of the freedoms and rights that we're sitting here enjoying and taking for granted. So there's, there's a lot of ways to look at that, but here's the way that God shows me is that there's going to be terrible times, there's going to be suffering at times in this world, but the thing you can know if you're in Christ, you're fulfilling a purpose, that there's always purpose to the pain. It's not for nothing. Whatever you're going through, even if it's of your own creation, he can turn it around and use it for a purpose of his. And the other thing is there's no suffering in this world that's ever happened to equal the suffering that God suffered because of sin on our behalf, on the cross, not just the physical sufferings, but the spiritual suffering as he took all of my sins because he's God, all time dwells with him, he's all present, he knew about every one of them, even sins I haven't committed yet, he took those to the cross and he suffered and he paid an eternal price for those so my sin debt could be paid, so I could be declared paid in full on my sin debt and be forgiven of that debt. And have a relationship with him. That's what God did. So no one suffered at all like what he has. God himself came in the flesh and suffered for us. And uh, so that this, this just blows me away. Um, but as we think about this, this is, this is part of this, this purpose. Because we felt, I got off on that talking about communion. As we're identifying when we take communion, we're remembering how the price he paid for us. So that we can, we can worship him. And he gave us a tangible reminder. Our baptism is a 
reminder. It's an illustration. It's a symbol of our identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. What he did to save us, right? And so there's a fellowship. We're all baptized together into one body. Because he begins, Paul begins to call this called out group, the church, the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, and we're all equally important. We've just got different functions. We'll talk about that more later on, uh, but uh, not today, okay? Lord willing. And then, so discipleship, fellowship, and evangelism. And the word evangelism really means, you know, good message, that we're sharing the good news. That's what the gospel, the word gospel means good, good news. Who doesn't need good news today? I don't know why everybody's so afraid of it. But this is it. This is what we're to be doing. And so what all's going on around here, anything as a local church that we're about, we need to be able to point to one of these things. Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it accomplishing some of the purpose? All right, so keep that in mind. And um, so we focused on that calling that he has for us. And the whole reason why he sets me free that is so that I might be free to know him and to serve him and have his purpose fulfilled in my life no matter what my circumstances or condition has been. He's my maker. He's my master. He's my creator. He's my Lord, my Savior, my deliverer, my redeemer, my restorer, my protector, my provider. He is my life. And he's yours too. He designed you for himself. And apart from him, you're never going to find satisfaction or fulfillment. He has a purpose. And here's the thing. He wants to start right where we are. That's the neat part. Because I keep thinking in my life, I need to get this figured out and straightened out. And I need to get here before then I can start. No, he says, I'm going to start right where you are. In that, even if that means in the mess you're in. You know, even when God chose to use Moses. I mean, Moses didn't have a good track record, if you all remember the story. Been on the run, had even committed a terrible crime, but God chose him. God called him. And you remember when Moses stood before the burning bush? And, um, you know, the Lord's calling him to go back. I'm going to send you back, and you're going to speak this message of deliverance, and this whole thing of the Exodus was going to happen. Moses started making excuses, just like you and I do. And he's like, I can't do it. And one of the things was, he says, I'm not very gifted at talking, right? And so God's going to, he's going to send his brother, he's going to help him with that. But it seemed like Moses ended up talking pretty well, didn't it? But he says, I don't have anything. He didn't have anything. He was standing there as a shepherd out in the wilderness, and all he had was, remember that stick, that staff? And so it's almost like God's like, I don't have anything. The only thing I've got is this stick in my hand. God says, okay, let's start with that. Right? Remember he said, throw it down. He made an illustration out of it. So here goes Moses back to confront Pharaoh, Pharaoh armed with nothing but a stick. And faith in God, and God brought the superpower of the world at that time, Egypt, to its knees. That's how our God works. Uh, we've seen that. That's an example for us. Now, as we look at this today, I want to talk uh, a little bit about something as we, as we answer that call, and he wants to fulfill his purpose. We've got to live in that. He didn't just save you just so you can say, Whew, I'm glad I'm free. Free for what? He has a purpose. He has a life. He has a plan. And so we're going to talk about walking in the call today, about walking 
in the call. And Paul talks about this, and if you'll read it with me now, Ephesians. Do you think I'd forgotten about Ephesians 4? I'm just building up, man. This is huge. This is amazing. It takes a while. You can't just read this. you got to build up to this. Are you ready? You got, we've got notes online, by the way. You can go to our Facebook page and find a link, or you can get on your Uversion app, go to a menu, events, find Hartville Mo, and you'll find some notes that you can add to. Didn't put a whole lot there because you're going to need to add to them so you can take something out of here, okay? We're going to have some take-home. I need some take-home, all right? All right, so I want you to read this with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. We believe the Word of God is inspired, every single bit of it, even down to the choice of word in the original. Now, no translation may be perfect, but I like the ESV. Um, it's a literal, or it is, it is a literal translation. It, try, it goes word for word, which whenever I'm teaching, since I believe every single word is inspired, there's some of those words we want to dive into. Now, we don't want to get so deep in the, 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 uh, in the woods that we miss the forest for all the trees that are in a way, right? We don't want to do that. Uh, but then some translations are equally good, and sometimes I will use those if I feel like it catches the essence of what the Greek is. And there are some translations that are dynamic. In other words, instead of word for word, they're translated thought for thought. Sometimes that's the way we usually translate and that's the way we speak. Sometimes you can get the simple meaning across easier that way, but sometimes there may be some deeper stuff there because every word means something. We believe this is the word of God. It is not just printed on a page. It is alive and it is powerful. And I know God's going to speak today because we're going to read in his word. So I'm going to start in verse one. I want you to hear what Paul says. So he's just talked about it. So there no, in the original, there were no chapter and verse breaks. We've added those. Those aren't inspired. So he just talked about how God is able to do far more abundantly uh, than we can ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. This is like one of my favorite verses. Uh, to him be glory. Amen. So then he says in verse 4, I, therefore... And, you know, you've always heard anytime you see therefore, you want to look and see what it's there for. So it connects it to what was just said before. That's why I mentioned that. Because of all of this, he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. He was in prison because of his faith at this time when he wrote this. He said, um, he says, I urge you to walk, listen to this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. The calling, right? It's the same root word of ecclesia. It's the same root word of the calling to which you have been called with uh, all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's stop right there because this is a lot. Amen. Um, right here, he tells us what we're to do. We've answered the call. He's talking about our calling, right? Okay, so first of all, what we do. What is it that we do? Well, he tells us right here. He says to live out your life to walk. Now, to walk, it has to do with your daily walk, your daily life. That's what that means. So he says to walk in a manner or live in a manner worthy of that call. If you're part of the body of Christ, the called out, right? How do we do that? He says that we're to walk worthy of this calling. Now, in the old King James, it says of the vocation, which can really throw you off there because we use that word for like your job now. But what you need to know is that 
500 years ago, it made more sense to say it that way because it comes from the Latin vocare, which means, guess what? Call. We get like vocal and things like that from. So many people looked at their job as their what? Calling. And so since we're part of the called out of God and he's called us, live your life in a worthy manner of that call. Uh, he's called us, as we've seen, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, that means you've got a calling. Somebody ought to say amen. Come on here. Get, in, get involved in this, right? You have a calling whether you realize it or not. He has called you. That's an invitation. Now, um, I know that I'm not worthy of this. There's nothing about me that deserves this. There's nothing about me that could earn this. This is high. This is awesome. This is on him. He's the one that paid the price. The only thing that makes us worth it is, you know something's worth something by how much somebody will pay for it? Look at what he paid for you. You look at the cross and tell me you're worthless. God says you're worth a lot because he did that for you. And I'm thankful he did it for me too. And I have to remind myself of this sometimes because I feel worthless. Because that's why you can't base things on feelings. You can't, listen, you can't base things on feelings and you can't base it on what other people are saying. I want to know what God says because he's the one I'm going to stand in front of. Not other people, okay? Now, I know that of myself I can never achieve it. I can never be good enough. I mean, if I think I'm good enough, I've just disqualified myself. Right? So I know I'm not. So how do I do this? Paul, tell me. Once again, every word's inspired. And when I look at that word that's translated worthy, walk in a manner worthy, I find it's the Greek word axios. And we get the word axis from it, which is an, an axis is a what? It's a point of balance. Right? It's strange that that would be the word that's translated there. I mean, it was used for measuring weights because in those days when they measured weights, they used the balance and it balanced out. And it was used symbolically too. In other words, if you're going to be, per, if you're going to be paid a certain amount for a day's work, it's supposed to be that the value of the work that you did balances the weight of the amount of money they pay you. Right? That's the concept, all right? We ought to do even more. Okay, no amens there. But uh, I, don't, I don't, you know. Okay. Uh, and, 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 and by the way, uh, I, I don't want to give Max the opportunity to ask the question, what is it we're paying the preacher for anyway around here? You know, so, so. But, but that's kind of the idea of it is that it balances out. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, he's told us that in one sense we can never be worthy of the calling, but he's given it to us. And so the word here means this. It means that my desire is that my life, my walk, balance out with the call. Here's, here's what he's telling us. He's, he's wanting us to grow in his grace until my daily life matches, matches my call in Christ. That's what that means. Live in a way that matches up to the high calling that you have. This is something that God will help us do because I can't do it on my own. But I've got to be willing to. There is a responsibility here that I have to meet. And I need to live it out. I need to walk the call. And that should be my goal. So this is, this is uh, what we're supposed to do. Now, so how am I going to do it? 
Well, he tells us the manner in which we're to do this. Look at it here. I put that up there to kind of help with visual. But he says, we're to do this. We're to live this out with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing, or you could say putting up with each other in love. Uh, So how we do it is we do it in humility because pride's the great enemy. Humility means I'd submit to God. Pride means I'm competing with God for control, for credit, for whatever it is. Pride's a big problem in our lives. I've got to humble myself. I've got to submit myself. You can't do this all by yourself. So one of the first things he says is humility. And then all of the other words that follow actually uh, are part of, um, are, are involved in humility, if you think about it, right? So someone has once said humility is me seeing myself as I really am in light of who he really is. Understanding who God really is and understanding who I am in light of that. I humble myself and I bow before him. Now, he goes on to say in all humility, um, with, um, with gentleness, or you might even use the word there, uh, with gentleness, with patience, uh, with, and bearing with one another. So he talks about being lowly, the lowliness there, the lowliness of mind. That's what has to do with what the word humility is all about there. Lowliness of mind. That's how we think. I don't need to think higher about me. I need to have the right view. And so he's talking about lowliness of mind. Then the next word is gentleness or meekness. Could be translated either way. Now, see, here's another place where the word from the Bible is a little different than what our English word reflects sometimes today. That's why it's good that some people are called to dive into this and help pull it out. And that's what we want to do. We want to take what the word of God says and we want to bring it out so we can see it and understand it and apply it. We don't want to take preconceived thoughts and try to cram it in there. We want to bring it out, right? That's what we want to do. And we want to be careful that we do it properly and in the right context. But I find that this word for meekness or gentleness was oftentimes in their literature a word that they applied to a horse or a stallion that had been broken. It's like um, we grew up around and with horses. Uh, We used horses to work cattle. My dad rodeo, team roped, and all of that. And there would be this big horse with all these bulging muscles. And uh, we would have cousins come. They want to ride the horses, right? And dad would say, it's okay. You know, just walk up there. He's gentle. He's gentle. That doesn't mean he's a wimp, right? Meekness does not mean weakness. So it's power. So a horse that was broken, this is a word that was used to apply to them. It's like it's power, but power under control. Self-control is a big part of gentleness and meekness. And I want to tell you, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Isn't that good news? Because I can't produce this on my own. But if I abide in Him, the Holy Spirit can and will and wants to produce self-control in my life. And gentleness, meekness, all of these things. Which is part of having a lowliness or humility. This is how we're to do it. We're to do these things. And then patience which is, has to do with our attitude. So it has to do with how we think, has, how we live, and, and then our attitude. Now, the word for patience is a compound word. In fact, uh, it is a word that is, is the word hupotasso, which, uh, or hupostasis, I can't remember which. Anyway, I just looked at it a little while ago. But it's a word that means to stand up or to bear up under the load. 
Uh, then another word that is used is upothumia, which means like a long time, to, you know, like a thermometer to get hot. We're long-suffering. Um, I was born short-fused, not long-suffering. But this is something the Holy Spirit will cultivate in our lives if we let him. Long-suffering. So, so all of these things can be involved in this whole thing. But humility is also a compound word in the original. And John Wesley once said that the Greeks and the Romans didn't really have a word for humility. So it's almost like Paul coined this about being lowly in mind. Well, So you get the idea of all these words that are used for these different things. And here's what I want to say. is you mix all of these ingredients together... And they are involved in a pretty good recipe for love. Think about that. Because the very next thing he says, with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, long-suffering, in love. In love. That is, sometimes one of the measurements of love is the God-given ability to put up with each other. Hmm? That's what Paul's saying. This is one thing that's going to come out of it. It involves growing in that ability to put others ahead of yourself. That's what the Bible calls agape love. That's the word that's translated there. When it says God so loved the world, it's agape. It's a sacrifice. God so loved, what did he do? He gave. Did we deserve it? No. Could we earn it? No. He just loved us sacrificially anyway. That's what love, real love from God does. It has has lowliness. It has gentleness. It has long-suffering. Because a lot of times in our logic and in our flesh and in our world and our culture, people misconstrue this. We understand love is how someone makes me feel about me. You meet my needs. You make me feel a certain way. That's what we think love is, but Bible flips it. (laughs) It flips the whole script here because it's so not human, it's supernatural, that love is of sacrificing yourself and giving. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It means you put others' needs ahead of your own. It means that you're going to have to employ supernatural patience and gentleness and long-suffering and all of that. To put up with other people. And you just think about how God puts up with us. Every bit of this was modeled by Christ. And sometimes it takes growing to the point, and this is is opposite to the natural human logic, but it's walking by faith to say that I trust you, God, and you said that if I humble myself, that you will lift me up. If I try to lift myself up, you'll probably... Humble me, but I'm just going to trust you in this, and I'm going to serve you in this, and I'm going to put other people ahead, and I'm just going to trust you to work in their lives and my life. This is what love is. So too many of us are hung up on what other people are doing or not doing that pleases us. That's not the ingredient here. It's opposite of that. So now this opens the door for something, y'all. Whenever we're bearing with each other in love, it opens the door for the power of God and the Spirit of God to be at work like never before. It's when brothers and sisters are in one accord, right? 
in unity. That's why the next thing he says, just keep following it, that we are eager then. Hadn't always been eager for this. But now I am, and I don't know where it's coming from. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. It's where it's coming. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, because he's the one that makes it happen, in the bond of peace. The bond that holds us together, the glue, is peace. Instead of constant turmoil. This is what he wants for us. It opens the door for this, to fulfill his purpose through us when there's unity in the body. It's not just that I'm called and you are called. We are all called into one body, one purpose. And this leads us to then why, why we do what we do. We do it to keep that unity so the power of God is not diluted or short-circuited. All of this is involved in the effort that's got to take place on our part. There's going to, God's power does it, but there's got to be effort on our part in this. And it is the unity that we're to keep. He says, keep that, that we maintain that. It can be work. Amen. I'm amen in myself. Because it does take work. Because some people aren't easy to love. <clears throat> this is a key part of the called out, by the way. To function in this way in the world, and I'm telling you, the world's not seeing a lot of this in those who call themselves part of the church as we are not walking in a worthy manner. And we're not being a good witness. Lord, help us. I mean, that's aside from all the sin and the hypocrisy that they see. Jesus said this. He said the way that we love each other and the way that we treat each other, <clears throat> this is one of the main ways that the world would know that we belong to him, to Christ. Uh, let's look at that verse. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples, that you're my followers, if you have love for one another. That's one of the main. Really? It's not just me saying that, hey, I'm a Christian. No, it's the way you treat other people who are sometimes hard to deal with. Oh, Lord, help us. And so he says there is unity. Just as you're called to one hope, there's one hope that we all share that goes along with this calling, that this invitation that he's given us. One Lord, not many, one faith. One faith that brings salvation into our life. One baptism. We're all baptized into Jesus Christ. One God, one Father of all who is over all, through all, and in you all. There's to be a oneness. Now please understand, he's going to get into this whole thing about how we're one, but we're all unique. There's to be a oneness in the body of Christ. Sameness is not one oneness. That doesn't mean we're the same. We have different backgrounds. We have different likes and dislikes. We have different skills. We have different experiences. We've had different failures. We have all these different things, and we come together with one purpose. Some of us like different styles of music. Some of us like it loud. Some of us like it soft. Some of us don't like much of nothing. I'm sorry, I just threw that part in there. But, but anyway, it's, it's, it, 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 we have that. Some like country, some like this, some like that. But that's okay. It's not right or wrong. 
We don't have to be the same to be one. And Paul's going to get into the, with, the, uh, with the Corinthians about how that we're one body, but the body has different parts, right? If the whole body wanted to be an eyeball, it wouldn't be much of a body, would it? I mean, he kind of, he's, it's funny, man. Paul's being funny. You might feel like I'm just the little finger or the little toe. And one of the first incredible illustrations that Clarissa ever heard me give was that I was, what, 17 still, years old. You heard me preach before we were married. And I know she was, she just, there was big eyes looking at me. I knew she was just captivated and all that. But, 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 they, but I told the story about that, that summer before we'd, we'd show cattle. Uh, we had dairy, you know, those registered Holsteins at the county fair. And that one heifer, you know, stood on my toe. And, you know, how when they're tame and they're just like, they don't know it. And they're just like, like crushing your little toe, and then you're like, get off my toe, and you're beating on them, and they're just like, mm-hmm. and then they just kind of shift their weight then and just grind it in, and my little toe, I'm telling you what, you might not, and my little toe, <clears throat> my little toe looks normal, but I've seen some other people's little toes, there's some weird looking little toes out there, it's a weird looking little thing, I mean, if you had cut that thing off and put it by itself, it's like, what is that? You would never know. My little toe as I'm getting older is kind of turning a different direction. Isn't that weird? I don't know what's going on. But I do know this. You might not think you need a little toe, but my little toe hurt and changed my whole body that day. It changed the look on my face. It changed the tone. And some of the words that might have come out of my mouth at that time, it affected me. So here's what I'm saying. If you're just the little toe in the body of Christ, we'll come back to this later on, but you know, you're important. And when you're hurting, we're all limping. Amen? We all have different functions so that everything gets done. No one's more important than anyone else. Right? There may be some gifts and callings that are more visible, like mine, but it's not the most important around here at all. And I'm probably not the most faithful. I should be. I hope I may be. But what I'm saying is this. Some of the greatest work in the local body is going on in places that is not necessarily visible. Okay? It's all equally important, and we're all... So here's the problem is, we divide over the wrong things usually. I mean, we're not talking about serious teaching of Scripture or anything like that. It's over preferences usually. We want to change other people to be like us. And you just have to accept, some people are just different, right? Some people are just... Weird. I'm really missing my mama. But I say this. I don't know if she actually really told me this or not. But I've all of these years I've said, my mom used to tell me, son, not everybody's normal like you are. Right? She didn't really say that. I made that up. I need to confess it now that she's with the Lord. But not everybody's normal like you. But here's the thing. We want to change others. And it's not our job to change anyone but ourselves. Unless we're talking about sin that's in their lives, they're supposed to be different. If you and someone else are exactly the same, one of you is not necessary. We're all unique, and the unity involves each one's uniqueness moving toward a common goal. And there's so much division that occurs because of instead of focusing on the goal, we focus on ourselves. We need to be focused on the goal, right? I mean, what if everybody on the football team wanted to be the quarterback, 
I mean, wouldn't that be crazy as they get up there, and, and as soon as the ball is hiked, all the linemen's like, wait a minute, I want to be quarterback. And all the, all the offensive linemen, instead of protecting the quarterback, they turn around and they tackle their own guy, and they start all fighting over the ball. What kind of team would that be? Kind of sounds like some churches I know is what it sounds like. We're not all supposed to play the same instrument. You know, if, if the worship team, everybody, say if everybody played uh, a piano or whatever, and everyone was just playing the same instrument, the same notes, it wouldn't sound near as awesome as what it does. But they have different instruments, and they play different notes that, guess what? Harmonize with each other. And it's awesome. That's what God wants to do with our lives so that this is part of the purpose. This is why we need to focus on the purpose of the church. Find our position on the team. Get God's strategy to get to his, not my, but his goal line. Let the Spirit of God fuel us and let's keep going until we hear him shout, Go! Well done, good and faithful servants. I don't know if he's going to holler, Go! But, man, if we ever hit the goal, I, 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 he might. So one of Paul's main analogy, as we said, about the church is the body, one body. That's what he says there in verse 4. And um, this unity can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit to have that community. Community is a word we get from that word koinonia that I mentioned earlier. And it is automatically involved in being that unity, uh, that togetherness. Even within God himself, there's community. One God, one essence. I know this is a deep mystery. One essence, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, so on and so forth. But there is community there, even within God, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, where they are loving and being loved and serving and being served. Jesus, some of this even comes out in Jesus' prayer in John 17. But Jesus, when he's about to go to the cross, one of the big things that he prays about is the unity of his people. Let's, let's, before we wrap this up, I've got to show you these verses. John 17, 21, it says that they may all be one. He's praying for all of us that would follow him later. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. One of the biggest ways that the world's going to believe that the Father sent the Son is the unity they see in us. Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. So we have this supernatural dynamic to help this happen, all right? Verse 23, I in them and you in me, Jesus is praying to the Father, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know, once again, this is one of the most powerful ways as we fulfill this purpose. Though the world's going to know that you've sent me and has loved me as you have, and, and, and has loved them just like you love me. They're going to find out about, guess what? Guess what, boy, we love each other. There's a way they're going to find out about the love of God that he has for them too. And he wants to share that with them as well. And his prayer is that that love that the Father had a son have with each other that we would have among us. Because he says in verse 26, I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Is that love in us? The Holy Spirit's the one who facilitates this. It's the unity of the Spirit. We have to submit to him. You know what they say? 
uh, uh, people say, well, you know, that's tough because, you know, I know uh, they're my brother or sister, but, but we're like oil and water. Hmm? You ever feel that way with someone? You just don't mix? Some of us are like that. How about oil and vinegar? Do you know oil and vinegar don't mix? Yeah, but if you take a little egg and you whip it up in there, something amazing, or should I say, amazing happens. That's how you make mayonnaise. And, and, and so the egg is like what? It is like, it's called an emulsifier. The emulsifier, it causes those compounds that are in the other uh, elements to bond together. So now it all works together. Guess what? Sometimes we're like oil and vinegar or oil and water. And the Holy Spirit, without, without the Holy Spirit, we would never mix. But the Holy Spirit is the emulsifier that brings about the unity that we can have through Christ. So I'm going to have some take-home. You ready for some take-home? Here's, here's just from all of this. Remember this. Living out the call involves the relationship between you and God. We're going to have to be spirit-filled. And living out the call involves the relationship between me and other people. Those two things. And if I, here's what I found. If I don't have my relationship with God right, I'm probably not going to be right with you. So here's the deal. You and me having some big problems. I'm either the problem or you're the problem or we're both the problem. Or it could be our problem is really with God. And so we have a hard time getting along with each other. Because we're not fully submitted, walking in humility and letting his spirit emulsify us no matter what. Amen. So this is part of what is walking out, living this called life that we're focusing on. So let's just go to the Lord right now and ask him to help us to do it. Pray with me. Father, I ask.